Blog Talk Radio. It's Film Festival Radio, the show where superstars and future stars happily coexist together. And now, here's your host, Janice Malone. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Film Festival Radio Show. Thank you for joining us. Hope you are having a good Saturday. My Saturday has been filled from 6 this morning with both watching independent films for upcoming guests and watching college football, everything there is to know and do about college football. I've just been just you know, vacillating between the two. But anyway, let's talk about our guest here. Our guest today, we have our friend, our buddy, Chris Wolsey, who is the Senior Director of Communications for Chicken Soup for the Soul Entertainment. And he will be joining us to tell us what is popping for the month of September in the world of films and their television shows at crackhole.com. So he'll be telling us all about that. And then we have our featured guest, Deborah Kampmeyer. She's an award-winning filmmaker. She's a director who's uh, also a writer, producer, and she's going to tell us just just a kind of um, overall view of some of the many television projects and films uh, that she will be directing for this fall season. I already have done them, I should say, before the strike, of course. Uh, Shows on Amazon and also on HBO and other films that she will be doing as well. And her the films that she's done, the TV shows that she's directed, they are household names, believe me. So Deborah will be joining us to tell us all about that. We have some auditions for you, as always. And I don't want to delay that, so let me be quiet. Let's take a break. And when we return, we will have our auditions, followed by our buddy Chris Woolsey from Chicken Soup for the Soul Entertainment. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. It's acting up. News about auditions and tryouts that could make you a star. And we are back with our auditions here as promised. Let me get myself in gear here. Okay, we've got some auditions here. I thought we were going to have more time. I have actually four. I'll split them up, though, because we don't have enough time. But listen, uh, if you are fans of MasterChef like I am, well, guess what? They are now casting for the upcoming 2024 season, and they will be filming this fall, actually starting next month. Well, the show is looking for, you know how it goes, they're looking for amazing home chefs who have never worked in the culinary fields, okay? Can't be a pro. And they need people who can cook, home cooks, and you want to compete, and you need to be available starting in mid-October for eight to ten weeks. The shooting will be from mid-October 2023 to mid-December 2023. Okay, so make sure that you are available during those weeks. MasterChef is only accepting applicants that are 
over the age of 18. And so if you need the information, you want to try out for it, the website is masterchefcasting.com. That's masterchefcasting.com. Who knows, you might get selected and you can go and, and be right there and get yelled at and screamed at by the master chef himself, Gordon Ramsay. I just love him. He's so cool. I can't wait to bring him on the show. But anyway, uh, that's our first audition. How many of you out there are hip-hop artists or maybe you know of some hip-hop uh, performers? If, do you think you have what it takes? got star quality, maybe your son, your daughter, your your husband, wife, or whomever, if you've got hip-hop talent. If so, casting directors are looking for new aspiring hip-hop artists for a competition show, and they want to hear from you. So if you are, again, a rising hip-hop artist with the potential to captivate audiences, and you've got some, some lyrical buzz going on, you you know, like Nelly and all of them, or whoever it is, Travis, no, well, anyway, so again, uh, this is a major big deal, and if you are available and you have that talent. They're looking for people of diverse backgrounds who have uh, all rap styles are welcome. You just embody the spirit of hip-hop culture. All rap styles are welcome. There is a website for you. The website is tiny, T-I-N-Y dot one, O-N-E, forward slash mark, rap show casting. And go to that website. You'll find all the details. Again, it's tiny dot one forward slash mark rap r-a-p show casting and you will find everything that you need so if you think you've got what it takes and you want to sit jay-z and all of them down diddy and all the likes you want to sit them down this might be your chance okay so okay that's going to do it for our auditions we're going to take a quick break and when we come back we will have our buddy our friend chris wolsey from chicken soup for the soul entertainment he'll be joining us so stay tuned we'll be right back Okay, listeners, we have Chris Woolsey, our Senior Director of Communications for Chicken Soup for the Soul Entertainment, and he is this show's resident expert on the cool world of movies, dreams, and such things. Chris, what's going on? What's going on for Crackle for the month of September? Janice, we have got a ton of really great stuff in September. We We always have a lot of good titles, but there are a couple of things this month that I am particularly psyched out of my mind about. Um, so, you know, we often have Crackle Originals. Uh, these are films and TV series that you can only watch on Crackle. And this month, we have a really special series. Now, um, this, this series is special for a couple of reasons. One is it's a fantasy adventure series, and we don't get a ton of original fantasy adventures. We have a lot of um, fantasy adventures that are uh, available elsewhere uh, as well, but this is the first in quite a while that we have had. And the second reason that I'm so excited about this title, besides the fact that it is spectacular, is that it was shot in the Ukraine just before the war broke out. Oh, goodness. And it is cast almost entirely with Ukrainian actors. Some of the biggest names in Ukrainian film and television 
uh, industry are on this show, and some of them are even bravely defending the country on the front lines as we speak. And this is our Crackle original series called Pop It. Oh, okay. I saw the promo on that, and that's that's some good backstory information to have. So they are fighting right now as we speak, as you said. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. That is amazing. In fact, they, they already lost a cast member, unfortunately, uh, who was lost in the initial invasion. Oh. Um, but, um, yeah, there, there are several who are, are bravely defending their country as we speak. And the show is super fun. So it's uh, about it, – it's a, it's a um, fantasy period piece that takes place kind of in the Middle Ages. And it's about this uh, Ukrainian rogue uh, named Ivan, and he uh, steals a treasure from the Tsar of Moscow. Ooh. And come to find out, that treasure is actually bewitched. Ooh. And it leads him on a series of crazy misadventures uh, it, it, through his journey to try to rescue his mom, who has been kidnapped by a group of ne'er-do-wells. Um, it's super fun. It's if you like things uh, like uh, Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings, this is right up your alley. It's um, I have to say the, the 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 pilot episode, the first 15 minutes, might be the smartest writing I have seen in years in television. It's so clever. The performances are through the roof. You're gonna fall in love with these characters. It is a super, super fun show if you like uh, fantasy adventure. Oh, yeah, that will be for me. I'll, I'll go check it out. And if you said the writing is extra sharp, I believe me, every time you recommend, you always hit a bullseye with me. So I'm going to definitely check it out. Wow. Awesome. Well, you you will not be sorry. Okay, okay. It's something about, it just seems that European television shows are so good at period pieces they're just top of the line not that america isn't but europe is very very good at it you're right i i i don't know if maybe that is a factor of you know they they actually it's part of their history you know our country <laughs> yeah. is so much younger than oh, yeah, than so many countries in europe and and i wonder if that uh is sort of a, a legacy of the fact that you know, their ancestors lived through a lot of these things. That's true. That makes a lot of sense. Okay, so Cossack is the show, the program, the, the series, I should Absolutely. Say. And then, so not only do we have originals on Crackle every month, but as we've talked about many times, we also have exclusives. And these are things that we, we may not have produced, but you can only see them for free on Crackle. And this month, we have a fantastic one. I love action films. You love action films, Janice. Well, we've got a great exclusive action film, uh, Avod exclusive, and that is uh, One Shot. And this is starring Scott Atkins and Ashley Green Puri, uh, as well as Ryan Philippe, one of my favorite actors. And it's fantastic. It's, it's uh, about a group of special forces soldiers who go to a Guantanamo Bay type compound in order to move an inmate uh, to a new location. And while they're there, a group of insurgents attack the compound, trying to free the very man that they're trying to make sure doesn't get out of custody on the move. And uh, it is taut, 
filled with action. The performances are spectacular. Uh, obviously, Scott Atkins, who was just in John Wick Chapter 4, uh, knows uh, a thing or two about action films. Uh, Ashley Green was from the Twilight franchise and Ryan Philippe from Cracked and a number of other things. Um, but it's great. The characters are fantastic. Uh, on September 24th, on Crackle. On Crackle. Do you know something else, Chris, I saw on Crackle where, and I'm a Brian De Palma junkie, and I saw where you guys have one of his uh, films redacted. Ooh. At the, at the, I think it's at the, I don't know, is it already out or what? Which one was that? Re- redacted. I think that's the right one. Oh, yes. Uh, that, I believe that is out right now. Okay. Yeah, I'm a huge Brian De Palma fan. Um, it's it's great stuff. And we're going to talk about a film that's on Redbox this month. If you like Brian De Palma, yes. uh, you're going to be very excited about Elijah Wood in Grand Piano. Oh, We'll talk about that uh, when I come back. Yes. Oh, I saw. Oh, yeah. We got to talk about that. Okay, so we got to we got to get Crackle done first. Okay, anybody else at Crackle? <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. Let me peruse here. Yeah. So um, I am a big fan of Mark Ruffalo, yeah. um, who I think you and I have talked about before. Mm-hmm. Uh, you admire as well. Um, we have a great Mark Ruffalo and Ethan Hawke. So Ethan Hawke was interesting. When he first hit the scene, obviously, Dead Poet Society, I loved. But then I kind of felt like he was uh, kind of like sometimes the problem I have with Ed Norton, where he seems so intellectual mm-hmm. that, like, I have a problem with it coming across as a, as a real character. But he has won me over. Ethan Hawke is a really hardworking actor. And I got to tell you, over the years, he just continues to consistently uh, deliver great performances. And this is another one. So this is called What Doesn't Kill You. And Mark Ruffalo and Ethan Hawke and Brian Goodman uh, play friends who live in South Boston. They're, they're Southie guys. And they're all kind of involved in the criminal underworld. But Mark Ruffalo has a kid that he is sort of estranged from because of his uh, criminal activities, and he decides it's time to grow up and turn over a new leaf. He wants he he would rather have a relationship with a child than continue uh, this life of crime. And yet, at the same time, his best friend Ethan Hawke is doubling down on the criminal uh, lifestyle. It's really good. The performances are outstanding, and I just love I I love movies about. South Boston. I just think mm-hmm. it's such a interesting uh, subculture, and um, I don't know a, a ton about it. So every time I watch these movies, I feel like I'm learning something. Um, but this is a great one. I, I highly recommend it if you're looking for uh, a, a gritty drama. Um, this one is is pretty spectacular. Well, you're correct on that. A lot of the South Boston. Well, films, I should say, that have the, the backdrop storyline, they're they're so gritty and realistic. And the, the, it seems like the casting that they cast in those types of films are just, you know, it's just like people you work with. They're just very realistic or something. I don't know what it is. Very oh, good job. Very, very, very good job. So, okay. So, any anything else that's popping and cracking? I've got another um fantastic, if we'll stick with Gritty, um, 
if you like films like Training Day yeah. uh, with Denzel Washington, we've got another similar theme. But uh, in my opinion, it's as good, if not better, than that film. And that is Crown Vic. Um, mm-hmm. This is starring Thomas Jane from Thin Red Line and a million other things. And Luke Kleinhonk from The Man in the High Castle. Uh, Bridget Moynihan, uh, who was in the original John Wick. And it, it's uh, basically you're following Luke Kleinkonk on his rookie night as a beat cop in Los Angeles. And man, is it gritty. And Thomas Jane just puts him through the numbers and shows him this is what, you know, this is what your life is going to be like 20 years. Um, it, and there is a twist that you don't often get in these kind of police dramas mm-hmm. that you do not see coming at all. And it, it T-bones you in three quarters of the way through the movie. And uh, I just thought it was, I thought it was spectacular. And I've always been a big fan of both of these actors, but for my money, this, this movie was uh, two of their best performances in their career. I am there for the twist already. <laughs> well, you're going to love it because it, uh, I did not see it coming at all. It was, no. it was really good stuff. I love films with the twist, like Usual Suspect. You know, that's my favorite pet movie. And that twist in Usual Suspect. And now this one has a twist. I am so there for the twist. I'm telling you. I'm tuning in. Yes. Excellent. Excellent. You're going to love it. Okay. Okay. So I guess we have uh, wrapped up the majors of what's going to be popping and crackling at Crackle for the month of September. And uh, we will see you next week, Chris. I look forward to it, Janice. I can't wait. Okay. Thank you so much. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. We are back with more of our show, more Film Festival Radio Show, with me, Janice Malone. And it is time for our featured guest. Our guest is Deborah Kempmeyer, and she is an award-winning filmmaker, multi-talented lady. She is also an accomplished writer, director, producer, and editor of several uh, independent feature films and film shorts. But she is also steadily making a name for herself as a director in some of the biggest national television shows out here, uh, drama series, just all of it, as we'll talk about in this interview. She has a very busy fall season, so starting this month, Deborah returns to HBO's critically acclaimed period drama, The Gilded Age, and she's directing two episodes uh, for The Gilded Age as they are in their second season. She also is directing two episodes of the young adult crime series, Harlan Colvin's Shelter, and also the Western thriller Outer Range, uh, which both are on Amazon, of course. 
Plus, she has other films uh, that are coming out as soon as this strike ever ends. Oh, my goodness. Ugh. But anyway, um, yeah, if that's not enough, she she's just busy all through the early next year, all through this year. Uh, and, and this is all just a part of her multi-talents. Uh, she started off uh, as a director. Her, her second feature was titled Hound Dog, starring Dakota Fanning and Robin Wright. And it was nominated for the Grand Jury Prize at the uh, Sundance Film Festival for that year. I mean, again, her accolades are just stellar. But to start off, you're only your second feature and you have Dakota Fanning and Robin Wright in it, that's that's a lot of talent. And she is, uh, as I said, we're going to talk more with her about some other projects too, uh, that are in development, uh, film and television as well. So it has not been an easy journey. Successful people like this, they always have Oh, my God, those pocket stories. I call them pocket stories, and they're always challenging. But the real talented people who were born to do what they do find a way, such as our guest, to overcome. Uh, one of the uh, big breaks that she received to get her into uh, television directing was that she was uh, a director of one of the so I don't know how many, but I know for sure one, at least one, but it's probably more than one. Uh, remember Queen Sugar, 2019 show, uh, Ava DuVernay and Oprah Winfrey's uh, critically acclaimed Queen Sugar. Well, that is when Deborah made her directorial debut on Queen Sugar. And right after that, she also uh, directed Cherish the Day, some episodes, some of those episodes. And again, that's from uh, the camp of Ava and DuVernay. So from there, she went on to direct uh, episodes of Star Trek Discovery, uh, Star Trek Picard, FBI International, Tales of the Walking Dead, just on and on and on. But it was uh, her work on Queen Sugar that really launched her into the world of uh, big-time television directing. So here she is with us on our show, and we are so delighted to have her on board, just a delightful lady to chat with. So I'm going to just be quiet, just go and let you hear our chat. And it was, again, just a pleasure to speak with her. And let's roll it with uh, my interview with Deborah Kempmeyer. Let's hit it. Let's roll it. All right, listeners, I have my next guest on board. She is an award-winning filmmaker who has written, directed, produced, and just a lot in the film world, uh, independent film as well as network uh, shows and such. We'll get more into that. Her name is Deborah Kampmeyer. So, Deborah, nice to meet you, and thank you for joining me. Uh, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here with you, Janet. Well, you are, as I said, you are multi-talented here in so many areas of film and television. So, but let's we'll roll back into some of your previous work. But I understand that uh, you're coming back to HBO for the highly acclaimed period drama, The Gilded Edge, and you are directing a couple of those episodes. So tell us about that. Which episodes are they? 
I'm directing, in season two, I'm directing the second and the fourth episodes. And it is, for fans of the show, this is one wild ride this season. It's got, you know, like, I can't really say anything about any plot lines because oh. it is, like, everything's a spoiler because <laughs> it, it's so many surprises this season. It's such a fun ride. Uh, the teaser came out, and they talk about, um, you know, there's a war has started. There's so many wars happening in this one. Uh-huh. And, um, that's about all I can say in terms of, uh, you know, plot. But working, you know, working on a Julian Fellows show, it's it, uh, such an honor and, and pleasure. And, you know, working with this have it, it's bliss. You know, mm-hmm. you just can't believe the the talent that that you're working with on this show it's, it's incredible. Now you've directed and uh, because you've got some other episodes, um, I should say series that we're going to talk about in a minute that you've directed. But while we're here at the Gilded Age, whenever you direct these period type films or TV, it's, it's so it just seems like it's it's a lot more complicated because of the the costumes and the era, the period pieces. It, is it more complicated than doing more, maybe more so a modern theme show or something or what? You know, Janice, I'm so sorry. You cut out for a moment. Could you repeat that question? Oh, sure. Yes. Uh, now, when you direct a film or a TV show, any kind of a period type of uh, project, because it's a period piece, does that make – the direction does that make it more of a challenge? Because I'm looking at the the costumes and the different eras from history. Is it more challenging than than directing maybe a more modern themed uh, show or film or what? Absolutely, there there are certainly um, so many details you have to attend to on a show like The Gilded Age. Uh, luckily, we have an amazing team of artists, right? So I actually don't really have to worry about the wardrobe because we have just this unbelievable wardrobe, uh, you know, costume designer who's making sure all of the details are absolutely, We she made 5,000 dresses and they were oh. all exactly oh. like, she pulled in dressmakers from all over the world. And so, you know, she was doing the research for uh, the costumes, you know, our, our production designer has researched all the details for all of our sets. And, you know, so, so those elements are very much um, in place before I even step on set. But there are details like exact, I have to make sure the actors are holding, you know, the glass the way, you know, you have to hold it by the stem. You know, there's mm-hmm. all these little tiny details that I have to be aware of. On a show like this, you know, we have historians. We have an incredible support team there. You know, I had someone on set with me who was there. I could turn and ask a question, too. You know, am I doing this right? Uh, so there are a lot of details to attend to. Um, in terms of what, for me, directing, you know, it's really about holding space for everyone to do their best work, right? And I think, you know, for me, what's most important is the humanity. So, regardless of whether it's taking place in 1800 New York and those details I have to absolutely attend to, what's really important is the humanity of, of, you know, the people we're representing. And so, you know, the human relationship, human needs and desires, 
that's what I'm always sinking my teeth into. And I always kind of joke that I'm, uh, I'm, I'm genre agnostic because I, I've shot so many different kinds of, of shows on television. But, you know, for me, it's like whether it's set in a spaceship in the future, like on Star Trek, uh, or it's set in the 1800s New York on the Gilded Age, for me, it's really about the human relationship. And so holding space for that and for the performances for the actors is extremely similar no matter whether I'm on a modern TV show or a period drama or a film, you know, holding space for those performances is essentially the same no matter what show I'm on. Well, we need to give a shout out to the uh, the costume designer for the Gilded Age. You said five thousand dresses. That's my dream closet. My goodness, isn't that crazy? <sighs> yeah, I mean, just extraordinary work. Um, and you know, I think not not just her work, but she did bring in uh, an entire team, uh, as I said, of dressmakers. But you know. The way that she pulled the, you know, research from the period and the, the photos she referenced. And also there was a, um, you know, like mood board for every character. She was really making sure that each uh, character had their own color scheme and sort of, you know, theme for the look. Uh, Tasha, uh Kasha Lalika Mamoni is to our, our costume designer. Uh, is. And she's just, it's just unbelievable. And, you know, you want to shoot these close-ups as well as wide-ups because you want to see the whole dress, but you want to see this exquisite, like, needlework on a dress. You know, it's just unbelievable, the detail and accuracy for the period that she really uh, dove into. Well, I will definitely be watching, of course, uh, the new season, but just looking at those dresses, I now have some backstory information to make me love it even more so. My goodness, what talent all of you have here. Well, in addition, I understand that you have uh, directed two, or is it three, two or three episodes of Harlan Cohen's Shelter that's uh, coming out for the new season. Tell us about your work and which episodes are those? Yeah, so um, that came out uh, a couple weeks ago. Um, the first three episodes came out together, and then they're releasing one every Friday. So my first episode comes out next uh, Friday, or this Friday, I think, on mm-hmm. September 1st, and my second one on September 8th. And those are episodes five and six. And it's just such a Really lovely show. It's a young adult, but I think adults are really enjoying it as well from the response we've been getting. But it's a mystery. It's a thriller. It's, it's a lot of, it's a lot of fun. It's about this kid who, you know, after the death of his father, um, in a car accident heads to New Jersey to live with his aunt and he's suddenly, um, you know, entangled in this uh, disappearance of this new student at school and he becomes friends with a couple of outcasts and they all go on this uh, journey to try and find what happened to this classmate of theirs. And, you know, I find it really touching. It reminded me when I got involved in my own, like, teenage years and, you know, coming out of childhood, whether it was the rough childhood or not, this kind of innocence. And then you step into these teen years where you suddenly hit by 
how scary the world is, you know, in a way, and the, the, the like horrors in a way of our adult world. And there's something I find so, you know, powerful about a mystery where the kids are, you know, solving it and, and, you know, that young people actually have a capacity to make change in their community and this being highlighted and you get to follow along with your, your young heart, uh, you know, join the protagonist to solve the mystery. I think it makes the world seem more manageable and less frightening, less chaotic. And so there's something about that in this series that deals with a lot of heavy subject matters and uh, also has a lot of humor. It's a lot of fun. And uh, so it was a real, it was a real joy to work on. And if that's not enough to further speak of Amazon series, I understand that you have directed uh, some episodes of the show Outer Range. So tell us about that one. Uh, yeah, I, I'm so excited. We don't have the air dates for that yet, but oh, that was another dream cast working, you know, with these actors. Uh, just, just such a beautiful piece for me about um, about time and um, how time's not always linear and how we can go back sometimes into our past. It's not a, in this lifetime, maybe previous life, lifetimes. And when we heal, like when we heal our present, we heal our past. And when we heal our past, we heal our present. And it's a very m- mystical, it's a, it's a, it's a sci-fi western is how they define it. Oh, it's really deep into it. You know, <laughs> I love that show so much. And, uh, Lily Taylor, Josh Brolin, the whole cast. I mean, it's an extraordinary cast. And so that was a lot of fun to work on. A, sci- let's see, a sci-fi western. That's different. Wow. Uh-huh. That's different. <laughs> okay. Very different. <laughs> I love the sci-fi part. I've never thought to combine... It with the well, you know, what was that movie, Clint Eastwood? Was that the Magnificent Seven? That was kind of I can't remember all of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was kind of sci-fi. Also, Nope. You know, Nope came out and that has a kind of sci-fi western theme. Yeah, I so. forgot about those two as well. Well, now, yeah. okay, well, you've got this. Just you've got a busy fall winter. Uh, season coming up here of all of your directing here for these top television shows. But what, what I want to go get to is that before you started doing television, you um, earlier in your career, you worked with Dakota Fanning and Robin Wright and some independent films. Tell us about that. Yeah, so my first four features are, are films I wrote, directed, and produced, and I edited the last one. And, you know, um, they were passion projects and uh, really personal projects. And, you know, I think at the time, getting these scripts into someone like Dakota Tand or Robin Tan and sort of you know, begging people to get those scripts in their hands for me, um, roles weren't really being written as much for women as they are now. And so I think the, the you know, opportunity for both this young actress who is so talented, someone like Robin, get to support, like my first four features were essentially Me Too films before Me Too. And so, or before the, like, like, the, the bigger conversation around me too uh happened and and so 
you know, getting these very personal stories out to these actresses, they really, you know, I think embraced them in a way that then could support me getting these films made. Well, I understand that your directorial debut uh, for television, you started off big. You didn't start with the community theater. You started off big. (laughs) Really big. Uh, direct working with Ava DuVernier and Oprah Winfrey on uh, the show Queen Sugar. How does one just, what do you just go ring the doorbell and say, hi, I'm here? I mean, how did this start? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, kind of. It's a fun story because, so I had been, after my film Hound Dog is on to Sundance, there had been a study done by Stacey Smith at the Annenberg Institute. She does all these studies about women in, you know, film and TV. And one of her big studies is about women directors. And so she had done a study about what had happened to the women directors who had been nominated for the Grand Jury Prize at Sundance between 2000 and 2010. And spoiler alert, not much, right? Like all the guys who'd been nominated for the Grand Jury Prize, like had you know, two picture deals with Merrimack kind of thing or had agents. And, mm-hmm. and it was just really a look at how, you know, women's careers were not taking off after that really prestigious moment the way men were. And so at that time, an email had gone out um, with all of us women directors during that time period who'd been nominated for the Grand Jury Prize at Sundance. And both Ava and I were, were on that email chain and, um, I reached out to her. I reached out to most of the women on that that list just to say hello and say how much I admired their work. And Ava wrote me back. And and so for about seven years, every time – and she wasn't Ava then. You know, she made a feature, and uh, she was Ava DuVernay, but she wasn't Ava, right? Yeah. So, you know, we started a correspondence, and every time she would uh, make a feature or have a success, I would write to her and – congratulate her and sometimes she'd write back and sometimes she wouldn't and but but it was very much an open door and I remember um I was meditating and I got this download to reach out to Ava and ask her about Queen Sugar so I sent her an email and just said you know I would really love to be a part of Queen Sugar family I'm coming to LA let me know if maybe we could meet for coffee and discuss it and I didn't hear back and then like two weeks later I got a call from the production office asking if I was available available to come down the next day to start pre-production on Queen Sugar, and that was it. That was the, that changed my entire trajectory, uh, my entire career changed in that moment. And I remember uh, I got the call from the production office, and then like, how, and I was like hustling to figure, like start packing. I think the next like day was my daughter's 18th birthday. I'm like apologizing to her, but I'm heading, you know, down to uh, New Orleans tomorrow. And um, I remember like half hour later, I get a call. I picked it up, and it was Ava. And she's like, "You happy?" And I'm like, "Oh my god!" I was like, "Are you I kidding?" Collapsed. When I got that call, I literally collapsed to my knees, crying with gratitude. Oh, I it was, know. I had been trying to break into this TV world for decades. And she just, I mean, she opened that door and invited me in and invited all these women, incredible women, you know, into that 
into that door of a house she built herself because she couldn't get in the door either. So she just went and built a house and fight it. Yeah. And it was just incredible what she did for, you know, not just my career, but I think for the entire, like, landscape of television to change single-handedly by hiring only women directors on every season of Queen Sugar. That's amazing. And first-time directors, right? Oh, like, first-time solo. Yeah. Not first-time directors, but first-time TV directors. Yeah. It, it was visionary. It was unbelievable what she did for us. That is. And of course, as you said, it just changed your whole career. You went on to Star Trek Discovery, Star Trek Picard, the Tales of the Walking Dead. Oh, I love Walking Dead movies. Uh, I should uh-huh. <laughs> calm down, calm down here. But and, and so many others. So was was it a big uh, transition, learning curve, or challenge for you to go from uh, directing the the smaller films to now uh, major television directing, or what was that like for you? You know, again, I'll shout out to Ava. She she just set up that first opportunity for us to succeed. Like, she was really wise. It's like, don't set these women up to fail. Set them up to succeed. And we had, you know, Cheryl Dunyan was my producing director. I was shadowing Bullock Gun and Psycho Malali, like, for a couple of days. Like, there was a way she really set it up for us to succeed. Um, but I also felt like, it's really the same thing. That's that's part of the frustration that, like, the door is so closed. Because if you made a feature film, especially an indie feature, it's like indie features are, like, running with weights. And then suddenly, like, you're on a TV set doing the same exact same job, only, like, you're not making the peanut butter sandwiches for crafty. You know, like, <laughs> like you're, you're actually free to just do your work. You have an incredible support team. There's actually money and equipment and crew that can realize your vision instead of you having to, like, bring your vision down to a smaller scale because of the resources you have. Like, I, for me, it was not a, a very challenging transition. I made four feature films where I'd done everything myself, so I knew what it took. And I couldn't even call upon, you know, what I understood about you know, scheduling a day, which I did on my features, at lunch I can look at my shot list and say, okay, like, I'm I'm over here time-wise. How am I going to, you know, um, cut some shots in my afternoon to make my day? Like, there's just so many ways in which I think being an indie filmmaker was the best training ground I could have had for television. That's good to hear. And I'm happy to hear you say that so that other, especially uh, female filmmakers, independent filmmakers out here can hear your story and know that this is it's a lot of work, but it's rewarding. It's so worth it that you can just hang in yeah. there. It's so worth it. Well, I want to go back in the time machine one more time here. Now, I understand that you studied acting at the National Shakespeare Conservatory. So obviously, you were originally wanting to be an actress, but then all of a sudden, well, was it all of a sudden? You you took a turn and said, eh, I think I'm more of a filmmaker. So how did that whole uh, realization come about for you? Yeah, I, I fled the South when I was 17. I went to New York to be an actress. And so, oh, okay. Like, I was um, passionate about it. And at a certain point, I was in a workshop called RISP, 
where you set an impossible goal. And my impossible goal was to act in Jen Vendor's next movie. Jen Vendor's is the German filmmaker, uh, auteur. Mm-hmm. He had just made, made a film called Wings of Desire. And it was like, I just seen it when I started this workshop. And my, I was just, like, my heart had been broken open by it, the way, like, your 23-year-old heart, you know. Mm-hmm. It was that age where my dreams were so big and my past so, you know, huge. And so I made that my impossible goal was to act in his next movie. And it, I, I, at the start of sort of this project, I thought I was going to make a video fan letter for him. And as I was working on it, I realized I had my own story to tell. And I ended up... Uh, talking to a cinematographer, asking, like, how much would it be to, to make a short? And he said a couple thousand bucks, and at that time, he might as well have said two million. Like, a couple thousand bucks was, like, way out of my reach. But this workshop was all about, like, networking and brainstorming, and I ended up doing essentially crowdfunding before there was crowdfunding, and I sent a letter like snail mail to everyone in my like Rolodex of like 300 people with this letter I wrote with like my 23 year old heart's dreams. Like it's kind of embarrassing to look back at it now, but telling like my story and asking for 20 bucks. And I ended up receiving $1,600 in $20 bills in the mail in two weeks. I wrote this person a week. I went and rented the equipment. I, I wrote, directed and starred in this. Well, short film. Um, I had a DP and like a quote unquote producer. It was just the three of us running around New York shooting this film. It was like pre, it was before indie film was really indie film. So like Jim Jarmusch had just made Strangers of Paradise. And so it wasn't like everyone was trying to get favors to make their indie film. So I was like sitting in an editing room next to Martin Scorsese for free, you know, like it was like, oh, goodness. I was getting all these things just like handed to me. And I had actually bought a plane ticket to Berlin on the first day of the workshop or the last day of the workshop. Um, and I got, I finished this film like two days before uh, my flight. I got on the plane, flew to Berlin and, you know, long story short, I didn't actually get to meet them. Uh, I left, my film at his production office and came back to New York and be handed, uh, if you want to say, a role in Ben Bender's next film. But actually, I came back with my life. Like, it was like, I, making that short film was the most alive I'd ever felt in my life. And it, and I used to say to my students, like, go after what you think you want as hard as you possibly can. And you'll be led where you're meant to go. And that's what happened for me. I was going after this acting thing as hard as I could. Suddenly, I was like, oh, I'm a filmmaker. And that was it. That was how my life, you know, changed direction, like made a complete turn. Uh, and then, of course, it took me years to, to break into filmmaking. But that was that was it. That was my passion. That's what, you know, I did from there on. And what an amazing life you are still having as a film director. My goodness, it's your the names of people and the TV shows and such that you have done are just amazing, just totally amazing. So thank you. We, yes, absolutely. So we see where, uh, of course, as we talked at the top of our chat here, that there are so many hit television shows that you have directed that are for the rest of the year. But what is happening for you beginning of next year 
projects, film, television series, or what? You know, it's really been challenging with the strike, and I really hope the writers and actors get what they deserve and that a fair deal is negotiated. Like, we have amazing writers and actors on both the shows you and I just talked about, all three of them that we talked about, and, you know, it's it's a big sacrifice that's being made right now, you know, by a lot of people to change or make really important changes in our industry. And so, um, you know, I, I do hope that these deals are made soon. Um, you know, it's not just our, our actors and writers, it's our cast. Uh, I mean, it's our, our crew, it's our, you know, our gaffers, our grips, our, our, our truck drivers, our caterers, our makeup and wardrobe, like, they're people that need to feed their families that are really suffering. So, again, I'm just I, – I'm hoping that, you know, these – the writers and actors get what they deserve and that a fair deal is negotiated. Um, so all that is to say, you know, everything's been put on pause in terms of television work. I've been uh, – you know, the, the SAG had agreed to interim agreements uh, for indie Features. So I have been really pushing to get one of my features in particular, uh, you know, get financing, in, independent financing, because we can't go through studios if we're going to have this interim agreement. Um, and uh, I've been working really hard to find the financing for that and try to move into production on that project. Um, since, like, really, I, I have no idea, like, everything that was set up for the next year went away when the strike happened. So, I I mean, there's a lot of meetings. There's a lot, you know, on the table once Mm -hmm. the strike's over. I have a lot lined up that that I can jump into possibly, but um, it's just so unknown right now. Oh, yeah, that's totally understandable for sure. Mm. Well, I'm with you. I want, excuse me, this strike to please end. And, you know, for the people who really need it, like you said, the gaffers and the people, well, everybody needs it. Well, maybe except for the studio heads, but uh, we just need this to stop and pick up with, you know, everybody having, being in a better space, hopefully, once it does end and such. Well, now, do you have uh, Instagram uh, social handles, social media handles or website that people can follow your work? I do, yeah. Um, I I can be followed on Instagram at Deborah Kampmeyer uh, underscore filmmaker. Okay. Um, I'm. Uh, what am I on Facebook? I think I'm DJK Films. Uh, and then my my website is DebraKampmeyer.com, and you can find all my films and my TV shows on there, and keep up with me there. A lot to keep up with. You're a busy lady. So we're, <laughs> we're going to start with the Gilded Age, episodes two and four. We're going to start there and then work our way all the way through the rest of the fall season with your other television uh, work that we're going to look forward to. So this has been great. This has been fun. So you're just a fascinating lady, and I love the fact that you really, you know, you have a heart to look out for women out here who are in the industry who are trying to break into it and because I know you've been there and you know what it's like and so I, I love that that the spirit that you have a heart for, for women out here mm. that's really Thank good you, to hear Janice. it feels really important you know that we 
be like Ava, you know, build yeah. houses, open doors, and yeah. invite other women in. Um, you know, I think we're culture makers, right? Mm-hmm. And we need all of us uh, creating our future, not just like the five white men who are running the, you know, streamers or, you know, uh, the, you know, it has to be covering between 89 and like 94% white men making the films. And, you know, I, I think that as a society, like we sit around the campfire and, and tell our stories and create the future we're going to step into and create new myths that we're going to live by, uh, through our media. And I just want to keep, you know, encouraging and supporting women, people of color, you know, all the marginalized voices, LGBTQ, you know, mm-hmm. yes. disabled artists, like everyone needs a seat at this table for the future we're going to create. Like our world depends on it. Our, our world's burning right now. And we got to, we got to make a big change. And I think a big part of that change is the stories that we tell. And Absolutely. so, you know, any young person listening, you know, like I'm behind you, I've got your back, you know, let's, let's do this. Absolutely. And there is enough money for all of us. That's right. It just is. It just is. And so, you know, sometimes they make us think like, well, it's not enough. Yes, it is enough opportunities and enough money. It is. Stop it. Absolutely. (laughs) No, it's very kind of like the old paradigm to convince us there's not. The truth is there is, and that's part of the new story we have to tell. It is indeed, indeed. Well, again, thank you so much, Deborah, for chatting with me, giving us some backstory about your fascinating career. And uh, I'm going to be thinking about those 5,000 dresses. You know I'm not going to stop thinking about that. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Janice. It's such an honor to talk with you. It's a pleasure. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Okay, thank you so much, Deborah. I told you she is one busy lady. And we will definitely be tuning in to those uh, shows that she is directing some of those episodes on HBO and, of course, on Amazon. And the other shows and films that she mentioned that will finally, well, again, the strike is finally over, that everybody can get to their projects that are pending here. So anyway, that's going to do it for this edition of Film Festival Radio Show. Thank you again to our guest uh, for being with us. We just have so much fun with our guests, Deborah Kempmeyer and Chris Woolsey from Chicken Soup for the Soul Entertainment. So thank you. And also, how could we do the show without you listeners out there? So thank you to all of you who tune in, who write us. We do appreciate your just being such longtime followers of the show because we've been out here for a while. All right. We'll see you guys and gals and everyone on the next edition of Film Festival Radio Show. Have a great rest of the day or evening. Take care. Bye-bye.